0: Welcome, Knight fans, once again to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, and I am back, baby. This is Jeff Sharon along with Eric Lopez after, uh, uh, well, we got a new member of the Knight family joining us, uh, Eric, quite, uh, uh, not unexpectedly, but a little bit earlier than we anticipated, but she's uh, nonetheless healthy. My baby daughter, uh, Eliza Marie Francis, uh, was born uh, a week ago yesterday we're recording this on uh, wednesday october 25th excuse me she was born a week ago today sorry we went into the hospital on tuesday she was born a week ago uh today uh six pounds four ounces and that's why i was out last week but i want to thank you and brian for um for filling for for basically picking you know taking the wheel while i was away Uh, you guys didn't mess the place up too bad did you
1: no, no, and don't forget your old buddy, uh, Victor Anderson, your old yes.
0: classmate, He helped produce it. Thank uh, you to Victor as well for pulling for assistant. pulling that off. That was extremely that was clutch, I will say.
1: Yeah, it takes multiple people to uh take uh, take care of all the responsibilities you do on the podcast. Hey, look, you decided I guess you guys decided to beat out Scott Frost there as far <laughs> as uh you know, getting the kid out there cuz he's at the time of this recording, uh he's he wait he could be in, you know. He's waiting for uh Uh, the child to come out with his
0: wife and uh, that could be any moment you know it's funny because i we we went down to the baby was born down at winnie palmer and as is basically every child in central florida these days but um but i you know there was a fleeting minute there when i was like you know i know frost is on baby watch what if he shows up like you know in the room next to us or something wouldn't that be something obviously that didn't happen but um, uh, but cause I know that he and his wife are expecting their first kid. Is that right? So I believe um, so. Maybe this would be the perfect week to do it because well, <laughs> uh, it's Austin P week. So right. like I
1: said, this would be a great week to do it. maybe we uh, maybe maybe should
0: induce labor. Who knows? <laughs> hey, you know, whatever they want to do. Know. So, well, listen so, well, here's, here's the story with that. We're going to get to football actually last on today's show. Um, there's a lot in the Olympic sports going on that we need to talk about and get the word out to uh, you, the fans. So uh, just a reminder, we are at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can hit us up on uh, Facebook uh, as well. Uh, at Just search for facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Uh, look, uh, look us up on Twitter at uh, UCF underscore banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Uh, Brian is at Spokes underscore Murphy. Follow us all there, and also make sure you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't yet on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. All right, Uh, let's dive in right away with not football, which is what we've usually been doing to this point, but I want to talk about women's soccer, Eric Lopez, because uh, UCF comes off of last week, uh, last weekend rather, they played the two Northeastern teams, UConn and Temple. Um, they get a 2 nothing win uh, over UConn, a 4-1 to win over Temple, and they have their season, f- uh, their regular season finale, I should say, this Friday, October 27th, at 7 p.m. at home. They are playing USF. It is the war on I-4, uh, and this is a big one here. It's going to be televised on UCFKnights.tv, but really you should make it out uh, to the track and soccer complex for this game because here's the story with this team right now they are 12-1 and 1 70 and 1 in the conference uh, and you know as we're looking at where the knights really stand where they truly stand taking a look at the standings in the american um, this is obviously the key game for them because USF right now is 7 and 1 with 21 points in second place. UCF is 7 and 1 with 22 points. So this is for the regular season title. Um UCF right now, women's soccer, uh they are climbing the polls as well. They are number 7 in the United Soccer Coaches rankings. Um, they have, like I said, only one loss. That was in their season opener to South Carolina, who's currently ranked number three. Um, the Knights also have one draw. That was to Cincinnati uh, earlier this year up, uh, up, in, up in Cincinnati. Um, in the RPI, the Knights uh, are also in the top ten. In fact, they're sixth behind South, Car- behind South Carolina, which is the team that beat them, like we said. Stanford, North Carolina, Duke, and West Virginia. Of course, they beat North Carolina earlier uh, this season um, at home. So, And then, of course, now this next game, if the Knights win and defeat South Florida, that would also help their RPI because South Florida is an RPI top 30 team. They're 27th. So what is really at stake here for UCF? Other than, of course, you know, remember, the regular season champion hosts the conference tournament so at 12 one and one they have won eight in a row uh this this streak just continues we really are seeing something historic from this team right now and you know maybe we could have scoffed at this earlier but I think now they're all legit they they have a legit shot to get to the college Cup final four in Orlando don't you
1: I did. Uh, I wrote about it last week on uh, on the site on the Black and Go Banneret. I talked about the women's soccer team being the standard on campus. I made the case that that they're the best team on campus, and that includes the football team. And you know, one of the reasons, yeah, you're right. You highlighted it. You know, depending on what you read, uh, you know, they they are in the position we had. Uh, in fact, if you follow Chris Henderson, who we've had on this program, and we might have him on again, probably next week, actually. Uh, we're going to try and get him on. He he does a lot of the soccer projections. He's like the Joe Lenardi of women's soccer. He has he's been flirting with UCF as a one seed slash two seed overall. And what that means is, if UCF ends up as a one seed in the NCAA tournament. They get to host every round of the NCAA tournament leading up to uh, up until the College Cup, which, as you mentioned, is in Orlando. Whereas if they're a two seed, they would have to go on the road for the Elite Eight. And it's a fine line. And one of the things for them to do to have a shot to be the one seed, in my opinion, is I think they got to win the regular season title, which they can do with a win or a draw on Friday night against USF. And then they if they do that, they get to host a conference tournament and then they'll play the semifinal and hopefully the championship game. And I think if they win the two tournament games there, I think they've done everything you could ask to be a possible one seed. Uh, Whether they get it or not, who knows. But that's, I think, what's at stake here is obviously the regular season title, a chance to host the tournament. Uh, And I think for UCF, a chance to put an exclamation point. It's senior night. Uh, they got a tremendous big group of these seniors. And as I mentioned uh, in the article last week, and it's still up there, uh, this is big. This has been big for Coach Sehida because this is her team. You know, we talked about this. You know, when she won the conference tournament and a conference championship, you know, at the beginning of her UCF run here, when she arrived here, you know, a lot of those players were with Coach Cromwell. So that was kind of what people outside the program would say. And there was questions whether she can continue the, tr- the tradition that Cromwell has done here, and she has. And I think this year is a big exclamation point. This team has been dominant. They have the explosive offense. Uh, they've been blowing teams out uh, by at least average scores of three to four to nothing, which, as I mentioned in the story last week, is a football, you know, equivalent to like 70 to nothing.
0: Yeah, they, every, they've outscored their opponents. Forgive me for interrupting, but they have outscored yeah. in, in conference play. They have outscored their opponents 33 to two. And that is incredible. Um, and yet, you know, so that that's
1: been dominant. Yet this is going to mean they're facing a very good USF team. Uh, that's obviously right there in the mix. They're trying to win the, they can win the regular season title and improve their chances of making the NCAA tournament, improve their RPI. Obviously the war on I four, you know, points on the line for the trophy. So this is going to be a significant match. Uh, there could be a prelude to what happens on the football side a month later, but, uh, I'm looking forward to this match. And then think about this, uh, Jeffrey, as USF brings in the leading goal scorer, uh, or at least one of the leading scores in the conference and Evelyn Veins, who uh, could be maybe the big threat to Morgan Ferreira and Kayla Adamic for as far as player of the year. I mean, Veins has scored five goals in conference play, uh, whereas Ferreira with 10 should win it. But I'm just saying if somebody that's not UCF-related has a shot to win it, it would be Evelyn Veins. Uh, mm-hmm. She's dynamic. You're looking at two teams, by the way. You ready for this? In conference games only. UCF has, uh, and USF are one in three in the conference in shots per game. USF has averaged 16 shots a game. UCF has averaged 20 shots a game. Hello. When I, when, what I meant when I read that is wide open offense. Both teams like to attack and attack and be aggressive. I think this will be an up tempo match and. Both teams have played well defensively. I think these are the two best teams in the league. They're one and two in the league in goals scored. UCF has scored a remarkable—you mentioned it—twenty-nine goals in eight conference games. USF is second. They've scored eighteen. To give you a perspective of how uh, how dominant UCF has been from an offensive standpoint. So uh, I'm looking forward to this match. I think if you're UCF, you're, you don't—you know—obviously a draw gets you the title, but I think they want to win this clean. Uh, because they know, I mean, they're trying to shoot for that one seat and try to stay home in Orlando for throughout as long as possible in the postseason. So it's a big match. I expect a big crowd. It's senior night. You know how that's going to be. That's going to be an emotional night. And uh, maybe the biggest match between these two schools on the women's soccer side that I can think of when you consider the fact these rivals, the trophy will be on the line and that's some on Friday night.
0: Well, UCF comes into this match uh, leading the leading the American in goals at two point nine three per game. USF third in scoring at two point two one per game, but UCF is number one in goals allowed. They've averaged they've given up just seven goals in fourteen games total. Uh, where uh, USF is also third, but they've given up nineteen. So the key, I think, for UCF has been the defense. You're right. This is one of the this is this may be the last opportunity to really thank these this group. For what they've done for uh, UCF, and uh, you know, like I said, what a group we've seen. Uh, as you take a look at the um, the goals, uh, the goal stats. You know, you have Morgan Ferrara right now with twelve goals on the year, leading the American. Kayla Adamek is second, tied for second with ten. Uh, with uh, two other players, obviously you mentioned, Evelyn Veins, and then Elizabeth Werner of uh, of Memphis also tied with her at ten. Um, Dina Orschman has been a revelation. She's got 5 goals on the season, which is tied for 10th in the conference as well. So it's those big 3 that have just been going nuts. And then uh when it comes to uh in you know in between the pipes, you got to hand it to Vera Varas who uh, leads the American in goals against average. She's at, she has given up 2 goals in 960 minutes of play. That's a goals against average of 0.19. Zero point one of the one the That's of the amazing.
1: One of the one of the nation's tops, too. I mean, that's the thing about this team that's special, Jeff. They've got offense. They've got defense. They've got it all. That's why this team has got a shot to do some special things here. But again, one tag, one game at a time. It starts this Friday trying to yeah. win that regular season championship against your rivals. And they're hoping that on senior night they get a chance to just like other great UCF women's soccer teams. Chance to celebrate on the field, and uh, that's going to be what's at stake. I'm looking forward to it. I hope to. Uh, I had. I plan to be out there. By the way, for those that are planning to go out there, uh, p- parking information. There are par- and, and this is one of the most incredible nights as we'll get into, I could argue this is one of the top nights in the history of Olympic sports in the fall at UCF when considering what volleyball has got in store, but there also, apparently there's a concert at the CFE arena that uh, Friday night as well. So if you're looking for free parking for the women's soccer match, it'll only be available at the baseball lot and in lot E six garage F and garage D will be paid parking garage F D will be paid parking. Uh, So if you want free parking, uh, you might just go to the baseball lot and to lot E6. And as you know, it'd be a good idea to get there early because that could run out real quickly. Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, I can't believe there's a concert to go along with volleyball and soccer on
0: the same time frame. So it'll yeah, be a something called product. Mercy Me is playing there. I don't know who that is, but.
1: Well, uh, UCF's hoping to put in – input some Mercy Me on USF there, that USF will be saying that at the end of the night, but it uh, should be a big one. A uh, very talented team. And, again, lot's on the line. You're right. I mean, you've you've pointed out. I think if UCF can win this, uh, they, they get a chance to host and put themselves in a great spot. Now, obviously, uh, if USF wins, USF would win the regular season title. So the, 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 the tournament's going to be in the state of Florida. As I talked to uh, our good friend, our mutual friend, Jeff Carl Harper, who's part of the production team for the American Digital Network, they're trying to figure out where they're going. At least now they know, like, well, we're taking a flight to Central Florida on uh, on Halloween. From where from where we're going, from that point on, we don't know which part of the I four corridor we're taking. But uh, um, we're flying
0: into OIA, be, and then we're either going and then we're either going up four seventeen or down I right. four, one or the other.
1: <laughs> exactly. So we'll find out after Friday night. But it should be a great atmosphere and uh, a lot on the line for both sides and. Uh, it should be a, a, who knows could be a thing, the sign of things to come. It might not. It could be one of two UCF USF sporting events on campus that, that could decide the conference championship.
0: Right. So quick recap of the American Athletic Conference Women's Soccer Tournament schedule. Like you mentioned, it will be hosted by the team that is the one seed. And we're going to find out who that is Friday night. Um, the it, it's a it, six. The top six teams get in. So the top two get the bye. So, uh, six verse three. It, Wednesday, November first, is going to be that first round. It's going to be televised on the American Digital Network. It'll be the three six at four thirty, and then the four five at seven. Uh, winner of uh, the th- of the three six plays the two seed at four thirty on Friday, November the third. So you get forty eight hours between matches. Uh, then a one seed plays at seven. On Friday, November the 3rd. And then the championship is scheduled for Sunday, November the 5th. And that will be televised on ESPN News uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So like you said, UCF Women's Soccer, Tiffany Roberts, Zahedak, and the crew hoping that it's uh, all UCF that entire way. They would love nothing more than to be the one seed playing primetime, 7 p.m. on Friday night, followed by uh, the championship at home, 2 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, But... They got to take care of business first and beat USF in the regular season uh, finale. So make sure you keep an eye on that and head on down to the track and soccer complex to check it out. Because if you haven't gone there down there yet, you owe it to yourself to see this team play because they are, um, they're, they're having a truly, truly historic season. Um, Speaking of potential history, um, I want to dive over to men's soccer real quick because we have to talk about this. Uh, at one point, UCF was one five and one. All right, when they started out, when they started out this season, first year under Scott Calabrese, um, they had a, let's see, the FIU match was canceled, the Charlotte match was canceled, both of those due to weather, one of them due to a hurricane. Um, but something has clicked. Following the loss, uh, the two to one loss uh, at SMU on Friday, September 29th, this team has gone on a tear. They are unbeaten in their last five. Uh, they've beaten three of those four that they of the four matches that they've won by three goals or more, including at Tulsa, including home at Tulsa. They had a big win this past Saturday at number twenty-two UConn. They beat the Huskies in stores three to two. UConn is ranked number twenty-two in the country. Come home on Tuesday, they beat Florida Atlantic three to nothing. And now here's the story. For UCF uh, men's soccer, top four teams get into the American Athletic Conference tournament. We saw UCF snuck in last year with a late rally um, before they fell in the first round in a heartbreaker. Now, here's the drill with that. For UCF, right now they're standing; they're, they're currently fifth in the standings. They're two two and one on the year. They have seven points. At the top is SMU and UConn. They both clinch spots in the American. Uh, tournament uh, at 12 points each. USF is third at 10. Temple is fourth at nine. UCF is on the outside; is, is currently on the outside, but they're knocking on the door. They have two conference matches left. Home finale is this Saturday, uh, October the 28th, 2 p.m., against Temple. That will be on the American Digital Network as well. So you can watch that game there before you head on over to football. Or if you're at football, you can watch it. Um, uh, if you're uh, tailgating out there. Then they're playing Cincinnati at, on Saturday, November the 4th at 7. So so two Saturdays in a row. Like we mentioned, Temple right now is, uh, is at nine points just ahead of the Knights. This is a huge, huge match on Saturday afternoon. Because if the Knights can beat Temple, they will leapfrog Temple in the standings. Because you get three points for a win. And then they would be in the driver's seat to get that fourth seed. Because after that, they've got Cincinnati on the road. And granted, it's on the road, but Cincinnati's 0-5 in the conference. They haven't won a game all season. So, uh, at least a conference game. They're 7-7 and 1 overall, but 0-5 in the league. So how about Scott Calabrese's team in his first year? They've figured something out, and they figured it out fierce. And now these two matches, if they can wrap it up by winning these two matches... And finish the season with 13 points. They'll be in great. Have, they obviously, uh, I, I uh, would make the conference tournament uh, at that point. And then it's anybody's guess what can happen, uh, especially when they, you know consider how crazy the schedule has been for this team. But wow, what a comeback they've made!
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. Obviously, you mentioned the match will be on American Digital Network. I'm going to get to call that match on Saturday, two That's Eastern, right. with with Matt Stubbington. So I've obviously done a lot of work for this match. And you know, I'm talking to people at UCF and in the, in the program, uh, you mentioned the scheduling stuff. They're just coming around, they're figuring things out. They're learning how to play the system. They're learning to play with each other. They've kind of figured it out. What's unfortunate, I think had, they didn't have the interruptions that you alluded to early in the year with the weather cancellation of games like that. I, I, that kind of delayed the process. Remember we talked about that in previous episodes about, Mm -hmm. man, they didn't, when are they going to get a match in they didn't get a home match in until October. And, uh, you know, so that's why, and even with that, think about it. They, they've been in almost every match, the USF match, they had a lead They coughed up late, uh, SMU, who by the way is ranked 10th or 12th, depending on which soccer poll you check. Um, they only lost them two to one. So that the team has been clicking. The Connecticut match you mentioned, I've seen Connecticut in person. You realize Connecticut had not given up a goal in conference up until that match. UCF is the first team to score on UConn all in the, in the conference. That and was they ripped
0: rimf- three on them, too. They
1: did, and they've been explosive. And this is a big match against Temple. Uh, UCF has to get a result. This Saturday, if UCF loses, they're they're eliminated from the conference tournament possibilities. If they get a draw win or a draw, they're still in the mix. And that's important because Temple, remember, they finished next weekend hosting USF. USF is hosting SMU this weekend. So this is a very big weekend here. If UCF can beat Temple, you mentioned it, they're at Cincinnati, the worst team in the league. They they control their fate to make the conference tournament, which would be significant. And based on the way they're playing, that's a team you pro, you know, they feel confident they can win the conference tournament if they can get in there. Now, Temple is a team that's playing as good as anybody right now in the league as well. Uh, they've won six of their last seven three in a row. It is a program. And I don't know if people realize this, you know, temple obviously is known for their basketball. Uh, temple right now is currently eight, six, and one. They're two wins shy. All right. They're two wins shy of winning 10 games in a season, 10 matches. That would be the fifth time in six seasons. They would have accomplished that. So this team knows how to win and temple and UCF, since they've played in the conference, since they joined the conference in 2013. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every match except one, they've played four times as conference games. Every match except for one in 2015 has gone to overtime or wow. double overtime. Uh, they tr- they had a draw in 2013, two to two. They had a draw in 2014, one one. UCF won last year, twenty to uh, in 2015. I'm sorry, they won in 2015, three to one. Last year's match, Temple won it at home, one nothing in the 94th minute. So these teams play, you know, close matches. They're both playing at a very high level. Uh, Temple's got a couple of dynamic offensive players that are very young. They might have the rookie of the year in the league, and Ellen Allen Camacho Soto that UCF's going to have to deal with uh, to go along with Tebow Candia, who's the sophomore. Uh, this is a big match, um, and it, it, it should be an exciting match uh, based on this matchup with everything on the line. Because you're right, if Temple, Temple wins, They basically lock up a spot in the conference tournament. If Temple loses, now Temple needs some help. So this is a huge ramification match, uh, which I'm excited about, Jeff. I'll be completely honest with you. I've known about that I was going to call this match for for a while. And when the schedule first came out, you mentioned when UCF was struggling. I'm like, hmm, this will be an interesting one to sell. But the way both teams are playing, Jeff, I mean, this is as exciting of a match and uh it, It's uh, hopefully, you know, I know a lot of the alumni weekend for men's soccer. A lot of their alumni players are going to be in, uh, in attendance for that, from what I've been told. So hopefully they get a good turnout. It's a two o'clock kick. It's three hours before the football game doesn't hurt. You know, you, you, the game will the match will be over no later than four, four thirty. So you got plenty of time to go to soccer match and go to football because uh, this team's deserved it. And I'm excited about the future of this program. Granted, they lose some seniors. This is their senior day, which I can't believe I'm saying senior day already, by the way. What, 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 um,
0: We need to have them work on that schedule and make soccer a year-round sport in the NCAA. And,
1: you know, it's funny. You're not the first to have a- brought that up. That is something that some people have brought up at the uh, at the heels of the United States men's team failing to qualify for the World Cup. Some people think, that in particular in the men's college soccer, some think they would be better off if they were a two semester sport.
0: Yeah. that that would help their game. The coaches have both said that. I know. I, I know. Have they? That. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. I I remember Brian Cunningham told us that last year, and Coach Calabrese actually mentioned that as well. That it's something that the that coaches in general um, seem to be, you know completely on board with on the men's side. I haven't talked to anybody on the women's side about it, but um, it, the, the the season just is too short. And uh, and considering that they're starting it basically in early August at this point, um, you know, I mean, the American, you know, you have three teams that you have three schools that don't sponsor men's soccer. So the season's a little bit shorter, but still, um, I, I think that, um, uh, it would benefit the game tremendously. Of course, we can go on and on about Team USA and, and, you know, <laughs> everyone has a laundry list of things that, that, you know, we, that we, that, that you at Team USA needs to do in order to figure itself out on the heels of not making the world cup, which is just unbelievable in my mind. But um, as far as this game's concerned, though, um, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, who, 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 what sort of players are you actually developing? And coach calories, I think has actually figured that out quite well here. And the guy who I'm going to be looking at, I know we've talked a lot this year about Matthias Puzo,lo and how great of a goal scorer he's been for UCF, and he leads the team in goals and all that. But this guy Cal Jennings has really yeah. stepped up of late. He uh, he had two goals in that Stetson match that that really you know that, that plus an assist by the way. He's a he's a sophomore, one of these young guys, a sophomore from Roswell, Georgia, and then he had two goals in the UConn match and helped UCF over the top. In that one, scored another one against F uh, against FIU. He's ra- he scored at least one goal in four of the last five matches, and uh, he has been a uh, a dynamic. Um, uh, uh, we were looking for that second guy to take the scoring load off of Matias Puzolo, and I think we found it in Cal Jennings.
1: They have and they've clicked, and they're playing their best soccer. They're peaking at the right time. You oh, just yeah. hope. There, you just hope that they have uh, two more wins in them because. I, you know, I, I think if they can sneak into that conference tournament, that's going to be a wide open conference tournament. They've already proven that they've beaten UConn. They they you know, some say they they had them. they had USF on the ropes in Tampa. They did. And then SM, and SMU, they gave them all they can handle. So uh, they, they they're playing very well. And I think moving forward um, and I know you got a chance to talk to them before the season. I think if you're used UCF have men's soccer, I think you feel good about Scott Calabrese already turning this team around this year, being in the mix. And if it wasn't for some, you know, a couple of breaks here, whether it be with the scheduling, with the weather or a couple of holds here, they could be talking about making the NCAA right now as in at large as it is. Uh, they're peaking right now. It should be a good one. The UCF and Temple, though, they, that's going to be a heck of a match. And uh, based on history, since they've joined the
0: conference, could be uh, could be one that needs more than 90 minutes to be decided. And that, once again, is Saturday at 2 p.m. October 28th. Uh, Four hours before the start of the UCF Austin P football game, so you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the team to come on out on Senior Day uh, and check this team out because, like, like you said, Elo, this is a critical match that you will be broadcasting on the American Digital Network. And, Correct. And uh, yeah, like we said, I mean, this is uh, this is going to be this is a critical critical time for uh, UCF men's soccer. I, I'm saying, you know, I'm saying it outright. They they don't you, you don't want to tie this match. You want to come out and you want to win it. No, you're right. And, and, you're right. You don't, win it. Don't, don't leave it in the hands of others.
1: Correct. Because if the UCF gets a draw, they're still not out of it. But in that scenario, they would need to win against Cincinnati and then probably need Temple
0: they would need some to help.
1: lose to USF. Yeah. Or or they would need USF to lose to SMU this weekend and then lose to Temple. Uh, and that way UCF could get in that way. Those are the scenarios for them to get in if they get a draw a win, and then they control it. If they beat Temple, all they got to do is beat Cincinnati, and they're in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if they lose, they're, it's done. It's over. Yeah. So it's a lot of drama there, and uh, looking forward to calling it uh, with Matt Stubbington, who uh, has covered the men's conference tournament over the last couple of years for the, the American Digital Network, also does women's uh, soccer at Florida, uh, has worked with my friend Adam Schick, so I'm excited to be working with Matt and uh, hopefully get a good broadcast and uh, provide a, an exciting match.
0: Good, should be a good show, and I'm going to be definitely going to be tuning in for that one, or logging on, as it were, uh, to check that one out. All right, let's hop over to volleyball real quick. Um, weekend for for UCF on the road, they get a split on that Houston Tulane trip. So uh, Friday, October the 20th, uh, they go out to uh, Houston, they lose in four, but then coming back, they stop in New Orleans, hit up Tulane. And they win that match, in, the, in which was televised on the American Digital Network. I watched a little bit of it, uh, three to one. Uh, so UCF volleyball right now to take a look at you in the standings uh, is uh, you know Wichita State right now is undefeated. Wow, I mean what boy have they been something in this in, in this league? UCF is in a three way tie right now for sixth at four and six, um, you know, right now at eleven and eleven uh, overall. Now one of the things that Coach Dagenet mentioned in the post game, and I was watching it as he was uh, as he was talking with the folks from the American Digital Network. Is you know there were a lot of teams that um, that racked up home wins early to sort of take that early lead in the race. You know, you know, coming around you know coming around that quarter mile pole to use a a, uh, a horse racing term, but now we're coming down to three quarter mile pole, and some of those matches have to have to come back. And we're going to start seeing that this weekend. So, for example, UCF's playing Wichita State on Friday night, 7 p.m. It's Volleyball 10. Um, uh, 7, 7 o'clock uh, first serve for UCF and Wichita State. And we talked about how good Wichita State is 10 and 0 overall, or excuse me, 10 and 0 in the league, 18 uh, and 3 uh, overall. And boy, are they off to uh, just, just off to a flying start, as we expected they would be. Uh, in the American, uh, and they've really raised the pro. I think you know nationally, they've raised the profile of the league significantly. Uh, coming on over because you know right now they're 18th in the uh, volleyball RPI uh, in the AVCA coaches poll. Um, pulling that up right now, Wichita is they're 21st. 21st, that's right. So yeah, um, you know, so here's the story for UCF. And, you, know, you, you know, if you want to start getting hot down the stretch, now's the time to do it because um, you have. Like we said, Wichita State. Then you got Memphis. Memphis this year uh, is uh, is not very good. They're one in nine uh, in the conference, eight and fourteen overall. You should be able to take that match on su- on Sunday. But if you can get, you know, if you can upset Wichita State in front of a big crowd, there should be a big crowd for this uh, match. And then you come back and get mem- Memphis before you go on the road back in East Carolina, Cincinnati. Remember, everybody goes home and home in volleyball. So as you head down the stretch. First of all, if you can prove to yourself that you can beat, you know, Wichita State, then you can beat anybody. And second of all, if you're, you know, once you've done that, you know, pretty much every match the rest of the way is winnable. The standings are really going to get mixed up as we head down the stretch here. I think this is a huge, this is the biggest match of the year for UCF Volleyball. What say you?
1: Well, it is. I mean, it's first of all, I mean, I was trying to help, help me out here because you've been going to matches now for all those 10 years more mm-hmm. uh, consistently than I have. The last team that played at the venue ranked like Wichita State was it I mean what was the last team was it Stanford? I know I was there for Stanford years ago. Uh, I think it was his first oh, year, might, or second year.
0: Might have been Stanford. I I don't recall Florida State might have been ranked
1: last year Yeah. I I, I
0: may mean, have to I'll have to go back. I'm not 100% sure well, yeah, on you, that. But you can look into that, but I that's the I big know Stanford thing. was when we played them and that was yes. 10 years ago. Remember, that was the first volleyball. I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know
1: what Florida State was. Point is, this is a big match from that standpoint. I think this is a – I don't know if, I, if it's – I mean, it's a huge opportunity. And I almost think if from an at-large standpoint, uh, this is your opportunity to get that at-large win. If you could beat Wichita State, there's a trump card that you've got. And then you can go on a run and, and make a big push. And then maybe by the committee say, look, we beat Wichita State. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, look at us, type of deal. So I agree. Took care of business the the rest of the way, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So you're right. That's the opportunity that you have. My concern is if they don't beat Wichita State, and even if they finish strong, I don't know if they'll have enough quality wins to get into the field. That's why I think this is a big opportunity uh, here to try to – you hope it's a big crowd. Now, you mentioned the big crowd. Uh, I normally would agree with you, except here's the uniqueness here. And I'm I'm wondering – uh, about this because okay. I'm gonna assume, I'm gonna try and hit up both you got women's soccer and volleyball at the same time they don't usually it doesn't happen often it happens maybe a couple times a year and honestly most of the time that it does happen it might happen on a Sunday right because uh, women's soccer and conference play plays Thursday nights for the most part except this particular weekend both matches are at seven. Now, in the spring, baseball and softball conflict a lot, but they change the times. Like softball, for example, in conference play, plays Fridays at 5 o'clock or 5.30, depending on. Maine's baseball is at 6.30. Saturday, it's at 2 o'clock for softball usually. Baseball used to be at 4. Last year, it was at 6.30. The only time they really go head-to-head is Sunday when they're both at noon usually or 11 a.m. and 12, depending on flights. Both vo- here in the fall, you got volleyball and soccer, two big matches. I think maybe the biggest night in fall that can remain a while, but they're both at seven. How much would that affect the fan bases? Because there's people like me, for example, that would normally hit up both of those matches, but they're both at the same time. You can't. Now, I have the luxury having credential that I can go back and forth if I want, which I intend on doing, but not everybody has that luxury. I don't know. I don't know if there's a solution to this. I don't know if like starting one match at six thirty and the other one at seven thirty would help. Uh, is there a remedy you think they could do here? Because I think there will be people that would have gone to the volleyball match that are going to be at the soccer match because of what's at stake there. I think it's a, or do you?
0: Think, it, I think it's a hard...
1: think completely different crowds or do you think they're different different uh, fan bases?
0: The non-student fan bases obviously are completely different. Um. The question is, how many students are you going to drag over from one to the other? I think you would love to have, obviously, 100% of the students at one or the other. Um, You know, it it really does stink because they they should be able to stagger this. I I wish they had been able to, say, move the soccer to about 5 o'clock because it's going to be a nice day out. Um, If you move the soccer to 5 that game will be over in time for the volleyball match at 7. Uh, and you can you, know, you can get fired up. You can celebrate the, the, the uh, regular season title, assuming UCF gets there, uh, for women's soccer. Then, hey, we got one more. Let's hop over to volleyball and get loud for that, right? So I wish they were able to do that.
1: Right, vice uh, versa. I mean, it could be yeah. vice versa. I don't know. Now, you know, remember it, the it,
0: opponents, if they ever if you're ever going to change time, remember, the opponents have to agree to that, too. And, correct. They're, and they're not stupid. OK, you know, USF is not stupid. They they know that if they can if they can uh, if they can put a dent in the UCF home crowd, they're going to try to do that.
1: Yeah, no, it's just interesting because, like I said, I brought up the baseball softball because I have a, I know a lot of people that are baseball fans that are softball fans as well. So a lot of people actually – I've seen this going doing games at softball. There's fans that will go to the softball game first and then head over to baseball right after that and catch the baseball game. Or they'll leave softball early to go to baseball so they can hit up both. You don't, ha- you don't even have that luxury here. Like let's say they would start one of them at six and the other one at seven. You could probably mess around with that. Um, that's tricky here obviously from my standpoint, I have to calculate it. Cause for example, like when women's soccer goes to halftime, I'll head mm-hmm. over to volleyball, but then there's intermission in volleyball. So it's unfortunate because I think you're right. This is the big, when, when both schedules came out, I mean, obviously North Carolina was the one that everybody circled in soccer, but USF's always a big match last game. And now when you consider the fact that the conference championships on the line and then for volleyball, Jeff, when the schedule came out, this was the one that everybody circled. Um, yeah. and it's, it's usually they draw big crowds. So, I don't know. I'm fascinated, and on both sides, I feel like both teams have their loyal fan base, right? So it's not like I, I don't think either side will lose a huge percentage of the fans, but they do lose maybe the casual fan that maybe gets divided. Is kind of how my gut tells me. Do you agree with that? That maybe I think both, like volleyball, has their diehard fans. They're going to go to volleyball no matter what. Soccer is going to have their diehard fans. They're going to go to soccer. There's gonna, and there's percentages of those people that are not, are not interested in the other sport. But I think the casual fan that's interested in, hey, I might go check this out. uh, That could be a bit of a conflict. I'm going to guess they'll go to women's soccer because of the what's at stake. And that might hurt. Volleyball might lose out on the casual fan that they normally would get for a volleyball 10 uh, with a team like Wichita State that's ranked in the top 25 coming in.
0: Yeah, for your Olympic sports, USF is going to be a bigger draw than even a ranked conference opponent that's not USF. It, it, it seems unfortunate, yeah, you know, considering exactly, that right, UCF right. volleyball really could use a rowdy atmosphere in there to play against Wichita State. But right. when you see UCF and USF, right. people are going to gravitate towards that. So I think you're right. It is going to sap away some of it, the, the casual observers. But my big question is how many of them are there and how many of the students are, are there that, are gonna, that, that you're going to miss out? Right. Because they're it, the well, ones who are going to provide the atmosphere at both places.
1: Well, and the funny thing is I think I read where both volleyball and soccer. They're both giving out free T-shirts to the students. So (laughs) uh, that that you haven't done laundry in a while. (laughs) Oh, oh, and you know, you know what? I guarantee you there's going to be some students are going to do that. They're going to try and double dip, try to get two shirts out of it. I guarantee you that's going to happen. I don't know if they can pull it off or not, but that's going to be interesting. And what's unfortunate is there was no really flexibility in the scheduling. Because, you know, in the past, I know that women's soccer at times has played conference games on a Saturday. But you can't do that when you have a conference game on Sunday. And uh, obviously you wouldn't even be able to, you know, and then swim in soccer, they can't play Saturday because men's soccer has a game on Saturday. And uh, for whatever reason, this time around, they decided that this women's soccer match was scheduled on Friday instead of Thursday. So it's unfortunate from that standpoint, yeah. uh, because I think it's a huge uh, night. And, uh, hopefully maybe, you know, hopefully it's one of those things kind of like the magic in Orlando city when they go head to head and they're both at home, uh, that maybe, and I've seen that I always wondered about that. and It turns out both, both teams draw their own fans and they're both fine. Maybe it's one of those, those things when I walk to both on Friday night that, you know what, uh, both sides got their turnout and everybody's everybody's happy. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I wish that they could have, you know, pulled that sort of that, that, uh, that doubleheader. So
1: but I would like to see that, right. I would like to see that. I wish um, there could be a way where all the people, the parties involved uh, and I'm talking facilities and people maybe kind of work this, you know, make it work where uh, they can kind of differentiate. And by the way, uh, just a look ahead. If you go back a couple of weeks from now, this Friday, which is, I believe it's November 10th. If I correct, if I'm, my math is correct, is that Friday, that's the night that men's basketball and women's basketball season openers. It's the same night volleyball has a home match. So you got another conflict there where women's basketball is, I believe it's at 5.30, men's basketball follows at 8, and then women's volleyball is sandwiched in there at 7. So it's kind of a tough break for volleyball here for them, but they're going to have a couple of tough conflicts uh, that weekend. Plus, that is also the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. UCF will host a first-round match. I don't know when. It could be that Friday night as well. If not Saturday, remember Saturday, that Saturday of that weekend, UCF's hosting Connecticut in football. So it's uh, it's a log jam that's coming up, buddy. It's coming. quite
0: quite the problem to have. <laughs> yeah. You know, way too, way too much great sports on campus. Right. So um, but that's yeah, right. It, I, it, it is a critical I, you know, I can't emphasize enough that it is a critical weekend for UCF volleyball to get the try and get Wichita State and try and ignite a little run. Because I do think that, you know, at their best, this team is as good as anybody in the conference. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just been, they've, they've again, the schedule's been very difficult to them. Uh, and, you know, but now's the time, right? So Volleyball 10, Friday, October 27th at 7 p.m. against uh, Wichita State, number 18, Wichita State, followed by Halloween Sunday, October 29th at noon, uh, against Memphis. Both of those matches will be on UCFnights.tv but head on down there, and also don't forget women's soccer uh, as well. All right, Elo, let's uh, take a quick timeout. And coming up next, speaking of successful sports on campus, football. Lots to talk about with that because they got a game coming up this weekend. If you have an old schedule magnet, you're going to have to get the Sharpie out to fill this one in, all right? Stick around. The Black and Gold Bannerette podcast is back after this.
1: And follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 11:48 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go, Knights! Charge
0: on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, with you. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Also hit us up on Facebook and subscribe to us on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and tune in. All right, Elo, uh, let's check in on football, shall we? <laughs> it, yeah, oh! Yeah, I know, yeah. right? It's, well, well, they're only the, uh, what is it now, the number 18-ranked team in the Associated ah. Press Top 25, 17th in the Coaches poll. The Knights are 6-0, and coming off of their 31-21, uh, relatively speaking, Nail biter in Annapolis at Navy. I had said, uh, and Brian Murphy echoed this uh, that this would I'd been saying all throughout the season that this was going to be the toughest test. Uh, it, this road game against Navy, and it was pretty tight there for a considerable amount of time. Knights had some opportunities, couldn't really you know stick it to Navy early on, and then Navy like does Navy things, right? I mean, they just frustrate you. And take advantage of you know their opportunities so well. They're such an opportunistic team. Uh, this game was you know fourteen uh, fourteen at one point in the third quarter after a seventy five yard touchdown pass from Zach a B to Malcolm Perry uh, for Navy. But things changed in the third. Um, Fifteen seconds after that, Adrian Killens had his seventy uh, nine yard touchdown run uh, that you know, obviously piqued the interest once again of uh TJ L S U Dad on Twitter. Um and then A B got hurt. Uh and you're talking about one of the leading rushers in the country, by the way, in Zach A. B of Navy. So um and then uh Matt Wright kicked a uh, kicked a field goal uh with two forty one to go in the third. The Knights had a ten point lead, but you know, it wasn't done in the fourth. You know, this is a Navy team that got within three with twelve fifty to go. And was right there until UCF uh, put together a nice little drive in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, Navy turned the ball over on a on a huge hit by uh, Brandon Moore, who I think he got completely toasted uh, on that seventy uh, five yard touchdown pass. Um, but he came back, redeemed himself, forced a fumble, recovered it, kind of pulled an, uh, a Jadavian Clowney, if you will, a baby Jadavian, and, uh, and uh, seven plays later, Otis Anderson. Capped it off with a ten-yard touchdown run with three thirty to go, and that was pretty much it. UCF um, was up by ten on Navy at that point. It's so hard for Navy to uh, come back to run a two-minute offense. You know when they're running the when they're running the triple option like they do. So this was, I thought, you know, there were a couple of big wins this year, no question about it. Um, the Maryland game comes to mind, but to me, this was the biggest win for UCF football so far this year. To go six and zero for the first time in school history. Previous record was five and zero in eighty eight. Uh, that team finished six and five, but six and zero for the first time uh, is UCF football, uh, and in the top twenty in both polls. So, I don't know. What did you think was the was the key at coming out of this Navy game for UCF?
1: Probably glad that Navy was banged up. I think if Navy wasn't yeah. a broken football team, we would really because uh, I mean you mentioned Zach Gabey, Going down. I mean, obviously, that affected them in the second half. They were also he was a real they were problem. down there like their he third. Was, st-
0: he was a legit problem yeah. in that game. And,
1: uh, they, were down with their, they were down there like their third string running backs and fullbacks. I mean, they're a banged up football team. Uh, look, it's a style game. I mean, we, me and Murph talked about it last week. We thought this was going to be a trick close game. We thought they, you know, and I was curious to see how UCF would respond, how they get hit in the mouth. And they got hit in the mouth in this game. I said, you're not going to blow everybody out, in the. I don't care who you are. And uh, Navy's a tough place. Style, with that scheme, with that offense, as you see, it gives you problems. And I gave these, the defense some problems. And uh, But they made plays when they had to. It was a good gut-check win. And uh, I think that's what you take out of it. That uh, I think you learn a lot about the team. They win. The good news is... It's a physical game, but now you play Austin P, which was originally their bye week. Austin P is a one FCS school. So at least you don't have to worry about playing. You know, uh, I I think they'll have a good time recovering physically because I think they'll be able to play a lot of guys in this game and be fresh for SMU on the fourth. I would have been more worried if you're playing Navy and then you're playing like SMU right away. They're like, oh, that's because a lot of teams and people don't understand this. When you play the triple option, it's not necessarily the problem in that game in itself, but it's also the problem after the game because a lot of times your linemen are beat up yeah. from dealing with those offensive linemen, and it takes its toll the following A lot of teams that play Georgia Techs and Navy don't play well the following weekend. Yeah, they get beat up. Yeah. beat up. Right. So uh, I, you know, I don't think it was an accident. UCF had a bye week originally scheduled after the Navy game. And it turns out they had to reschedule stuff, and they got Austin P, which they should be able to handle. So, um, look, it's a big, it's a good win for them. Uh, they're ranked 18th, and I think, obviously, to me, as you look at the schedule here down the stretch, I think there's one game. I think there's two games that could ruin a UCF-USF potential undefeated showdown on Black Friday. One of them is this weekend, USF will host Houston. I think that's Houston, USF's biggest threat. Mm-hmm. I think Houston will give problems. And Houston, I think from a coming
0: into that game pretty ticked about how they lost to Memphis, too.
1: Exactly. They blew a league there. I think they have the best player in the conference in Ed Oliver, the defensive lineman. who's going to be a future first-round NFL pick probably a year from now. And uh, after the 2018 season, he's only a sophomore, believe it or not, true sophomore. Oh, really? And oh, for UC yeah. Oh, yeah. He's back, baby. Uh, And I think for UCF, I think the tricky game is going to be is SMU when they go up to Dallas in a couple of weeks, which we'll get into more down the road. But Mm -hmm. uh, that's it. I think that's what could affect it. I don't think, you know, the Navy game is good. I will caution people. uh, The thing that worries me is I think this is a Navy team that's going to lose a couple more times before the year. And so I don't think this one will look as good a month from now that it does right now. I'm not a big a proponent of that. I don't really care about those things. I'm just telling you, be prepared for critics outside to point that out a month from now, because I think Navy's going to lose a couple of more times. But UCF doesn't care about it. Who cares? Uh, UCF right. got the win on that and big step on the road. And I was happy that they were challenged. Because I did feel like they needed to be challenged before they play USF. I didn't want them to go to the USF game not being challenged. Because as much as grief as USF gets for their schedule this year, and rightfully so, the one thing I will say is they have been they have faced adversity. They faced adversity the opener against San Jose State when they were down to seventeen nothing early. They faced adversity struggling against Donny Brook. They even faced adversity last week and as Chile made a late run at them in the second in the fourth quarter. And I do think that helps a football team as you move on. And I think that was good that UCF faced some adversity, that they had to answer a Navy score with a score in the second half, that when Mackenzie Milton threw a pick and Navy's driving in the fourth quarter, that UCF defense stepped up with Brandon Moore, as you mentioned, with that big play to turn the ball over. I think that's all positives for this team moving forward.
0: I want to give some credit where credit is due to the UCF defense here because – this is a Navy team that came in averaging almost 400 yards per game on the ground, but UCF's defense held them, held them to 248. Now I know it's 248 is still a lot, but you are talking about a team that's averaging 400 a game. That's a pretty good job of bend but don't break, and I think that uh, I think that's what they had to do in that game. And it certainly did. Uh, it, it, it it certainly I mean you know 4.2 yards per rush for Navy. But uh, if you can, you know, sometimes you can hold them under five and you force them into third down. Yeah, no, that's, right. that's, that's where that's right. where Navy got vulnerable. And I think that's where the defense uh, really stepped yeah. up in the, during the game.
1: And now and let me say this, because I know some people were concerned because the secondary gave up some big plays passing. I'm going to give the secondary a pass on that. When you're playing a triple option like that, it's tough from a passing standpoint uh, because yeah, they eight, run nine the ball men in the, the ball. box all the time. It's a completely different mindset than it is when you're playing an S, a, a different, you know, spread offense, because your mindset is like they're going to run the ball. They're running the ball. They're running the ball. They're running the ball. They're running the ball. And then, oh well, wow, oh well, wow, they're throwing the ball. You blink, and then they throw the ball. That's why Navy is that tough to play. So I know some people are concerned about that. I don't really. Take too much away from that kind of stuff because again, this is a team that's very—it's just completely opposite of what you play all year long. So
0: yeah, I've been—I've uh, been saying all along that it's—it's it's like you're playing football all season, and then all of a sudden one week you have to play rugby.
1: So yeah, so it was just weird, and so they got out of it with a win. That's what matters. Um, and now they get to get healthy, and I think for Austin P, the thing I'll say about that game is this is an opportunity uh, to get a lot of guys into
0: the to play. A yeah. lot of guys. And, and to get guys uh, rested too, I think that's the other thing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I expect to see a lot of that on Saturday night. I will I will mention congrats to Nightline. They finally uh they got broke a the win. Ice. I mean, granted, they took advantage of a situation of you. They, I mean, you literally slept for like five minutes last week and they just went ahead and asked you for your opinion and, and took advantage of that. I had some family matters. So they just took advantage of our at a weak spots. OK, congrats, guys. That's, that's right. you, We were, we were that's playing the, hurt. You know,
0: we were playing hurt. And, uh, you know, but you know what? Right. No excuses. No excuses out here. You know, we don't make excuses at the Black and Gold Bannerette. So. Um, no. So, yeah, let's let's tip our caps. And I will, uh we'll go we'll I, come back. We'll, we'll come back and you know, we'll coach Just, him up and we'll get and we'll get things going again uh next week.
1: I think this should be actually this weekend should be the most fun matchup because I feel like so far what we've done here, we we've basically the same guys have been picked for the most part, right? Like I mean, Traquan Smith has been picked a lot, Adrian mm-hmm. Killings has been picked a lot. Uh, even defensive players. The thing that's um, that about this game is because so many players I believe will play that really I think it opens the the, the talent pool as far as who could possibly be picked because certain guys that you would normally pick that are starting may not play a lot. Yeah, so you got to consider that. So I, I think this will be a fascinating one that will obviously update the audience on social media with the picks and all that. But uh, the good news this week, boys uh jeffrey's got a few hours of sleep this time around he's he, <laughs> right? not gonna take advantage like we did last week where you snuck <laughs> him in there he was half as he was literally walking sleeping as he made his picks all right so hope you're for a second that. there i
0: thought we were playing pro pick him but anyway um <laughs> what one little note on austin p before we go um okay. this is a team that came that uh through the, lost their first two games After uh, on the road at Cincinnati and at Miami of Ohio. At that point, they had lost a Division I high 29 games in a row. Since then, they've won five out of six. Their only loss was to Jacksonville State. Uh, They're coming off a win against Southeast Missouri. They are in uh, second place in the Ohio Valley Conference standings behind Jack State, which is that one team that they... That they lost to, so um, might be easy to sleep on Austin P. I don't think it's going to be because they are playing this game like it's their bowl game. Did you see on Twitter their uh, uh, their whole thing is like we're going to Disney World, you know, (laughs) this week they're 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 planning on hitting the theme parks and maybe hitting the beach or something. They're they're actually treating this like it's a bowl game. And why not? It's early. I why know. Not? And I would be, well, of course, if I'm Scott Frost, I'm like, okay, you, know, you, you want to treat it like a bowl game? No problem. Uh, go ahead and hit the beach boys. Have some fun. Uh, and be here by kickoff on Saturday. <laughs> we'll show you what fun looks That's like. Right. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't want anybody to sleep on them too much. I don't think we're going to be sleeping on them too much. I think the goal is put them down early, put them to bed early and uh and and get some guys rested up because that home stretch, like you said, coming down coming down the pike those last three uh, these last four games at SMU, home for UConn, uh at temple, home for usF, four consecutive weeks to finish out is gonna be uh is gonna be a tough stretch it's gonna be huge for UCF so uh make sure you take it by the way, uh television for this game is going to be on ESPN3. It is televised. It will be streamed on ESPN3. So um, credit to them for actually uh, pulling that off. I'm actually pulling up the broadcast. because It's going to be Sean Kenny and Forrest Connolly doing the game for uh, ESPN3. So uh, bear that in mind. By the way, um, UCF, one of eight remaining undefeated teams in FBS, uh, they're the only team that has won each of their games by double digits. So thanks to Andy Seely and uh, Dan Forcella for that little nugget. Uh, oh, last time these two teams played, by the way, Eric Lopez uh, was in 1984. So there is a history. This was homecoming for UCF back in the day, um, 1984. Austin P actually won in the Citrus Bowl. This was the night. This was the year after UCF actually upset Austin P in uh, in October of 1983. So a uh, quick little trivia bit for you here, Lopez. Who was UCF's quarterback in 1984 when they lost to uh, Austin Peay? Uh I can tell you right now, you're wow. not going to get this. Well, then I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Who is it? Dana Thyssen. Yeah, I would not have gotten it. No, Dana Thyssen. Definitely so, would not have gotten it. Dana, if you're out there, Give us a shout, we want because we wanted to give you a shout. So, um, and yeah. we're open, and we're open to, and we're open to redeem that game for you uh, from back in nineteen eighty four. So, um, correct. So, yeah. Uh,
1: by the way, real quick, mm-hmm. uh, because we, I don't know if we'll be on by the time this comes out. Maybe we will. Halloween is when the first committee rankings will come out. By the way, officially, that should be uh, interesting. which is significant. That's the one that decides. If you're an you know a group of you know if you're a, a team that's not in the quote unquote power five, uh, the highest ranked team champion from the group uh, of the other group conferences, if you're ranked the highest in that deal, you will be the team that goes to the at large bowl, mm-hmm. to the all axis bowl. Uh, let's do a quick predict. I, I will predict for Halloween. I'm assuming UCF wins. I'm, let's just assume USF beats Houston. Let's okay. just go with that assumption. I will predict that UCF will be ahead of USF, according to the committee, and I, and I predict it will be by a wide margin. I think UCF will be ahead of USF by at least five spots. That's my bold prediction. And I would say – I'll say UCF like in the 15 range, 15,
0: 16. I'm going to put would UCF around 19 ahead of USF, okay. but okay. a little further down. I just don't think that the committee is going to respect us enough.
1: So, wh- how, wh- okay, how low do you have them then?
0: I, I, would, I would say 19. So you'll say – you
1: so you've got UCF 18, USF where?
0: Or, uh, I, I, I'm going to have UCF 19, and I'm going to put USF at like 23.
1: Okay. I go UCF 15. I will say USF's 20, 20, 22. Okay. I'll go 15, 22. I think the committee will punish USF for their lack of schedule. I actually – I'll be I'll be laughing. I don't think they'll do it. I do wonder if they'll even rank USF in the top twenty five. They probably will because they if they beat Houston, they'll give them credit for that. But uh, I, I think UCF will have a wide margin on USF, which shouldn't be a surprise. But that might catch some people that normally follow the regular polls. Uh, that might surprise some people there. And that's assuming again we're assuming Houston that UCF and uh, USF win. This weekend. And I think something to look for is, will Memphis be a top 25 team by the committee? And that's important because that's UCF's best win, really, if you go based on that, because Memphis beat Navy. So I actually say that Memphis is their best win based on if you look on paper. So that's something, a couple things to look for. But those are things we're going to start following now, because not that it matters, because at the end of the day, you've got to win your division. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. But it is kind of uh Interesting to see how the committee perceives UCF and USF and even Memphis for that matter and anybody else, Mountain West or whoever, in the mix there in the rankings and who UCF is ahead of and who are they behind of.
0: It. It'll be fun to see. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll have my DVR set for that. So um, it'll, be a, it'll
1: be a trick or it'll be a treat. We don't know yet.
0: Yeah. We'll see if it's a trick or a treat. Nice.
1: No, no.
0: All right. So that's Saturday, October 28th, UCF football against Austin P. Five o'clock kick for that game on ESPN3 if you're not going to Spectrum Stadium. All right, Elo, uh, let's wrap this thing up. What, uh, I know you're got the, uh, the you doing the soccer game on uh, Saturday yeah. for the American Digital Network. What else do you have on tap?
1: All right, so here's what I'm going to try to do for Black and Go Banner. I've done a little bit of this at the football games in the recent weeks with the uh, pregame. And it's doing been awesome, video, by the way. Either Facebook Live or uh, Periscope on Twitter, depending on the mood. I'm going to try and do this all weekend, and particular on Friday. Friday, my I plan on going, first of all, to fall ball. Softball has got a fall ball game. They play Seminole State at 5 o'clock. I want to check out some of the new players there. So I will actually do a Facebook Live or a Periscope. And usually what I'll do is I'll do a minute or two minutes, kind of take the eye. So I'll be there for a little while. And then I'm going to try it. I'm going to be at the women's soccer match, UCF-USF, for all the title. We'll have video of there. And I'm going to try and sneak into volleyball as well on that Friday night. And uh, shoot video from all three sites a little bit to kind of get the environment, get the uh, 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 kind of the look at how things are looking pregame, maybe postgame stuff. And then, as you mentioned, on Saturday, I'll be calling the the UCF Temple men's soccer match on the American Digital Network with Matthew Stubbington. Two o'clock Eastern on the American Digital Network, a lot on the line in that match. I'll shoot maybe some video there before as well. And then maybe do a video for before the football game starts. Maybe look at the uh, how people maybe a tailgating. Maybe how it looks outside the stadium. Maybe go in the stadium. I haven't decided yet, but uh, I'll basically give you an idea how things are going on campus because it's going to be a busy, long, busy weekend.
0: It is indeed. You know, don't forget. You know, we have women's soccer and volleyball on uh, Friday, like you said, um, and then Saturday, of course, the men's soccer game against Temple and the football game against Austin P. Uh, somewhere in between all that i'm going to try and get some i'm going to try and get some sleep <laughs> but uh with the baby here you know cuz she's a week old but um you know and by the way coach frost if you're listening sleep now please don't don't you know <laughs> this if there's one week when you when you don't really have to look at the extra you know game film it's this one all right leave it to troy walters he's got everything figured out get 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 whatever sleep you can now because Um, boy, life comes at you fast that first week or two. (laughs) So, um, and I wanted to, uh, by the way, as we wrap up, I did want to personally thank all the folks at, um, at Winnie Palmer Hospital. Uh, They are the best in the business uh, at, um, at just taking care of you when you welcome uh, a new child into the world. So, uh, and they have been, um, they were fantastic to us. You know, we had our, our son Connor was born there. And so thanks to them for that. Uh, And, uh, and, and our, our little baby girl, Eliza, six pounds, four ounces. Um, she loves to sleep and eat, which are two things that I enjoy doing as well. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, so like we said, you know, welcome to the Knight family and baby Eliza. And, uh, yeah, so like I said, I got, hopefully, hopefully she'll give it, give us a little bit more sleep because I know her mom could probably use some a little bit more as well. So, Um, So that'll do it for us, Eric Lopez. Thanks again. Uh, Appreciate you, man. I'll be uh, seeing you on uh, Periscope Live and Facebook. Enjoy it. Jeffrey, get some rest, and I'll talk to you this weekend. All right, bud. And thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, Don't forget to uh, hit us up on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, as well as myself at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric at Eric Lopez-Elo, and also our, our, our bud Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy. Hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and subscribe to this podcast uh, and leave us a rating on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the weekend. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.